I'm Carrie Adams and you're listening to Carrie's Connoisseurs coming to you from Solid Gold Podcasts. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers and all the people who make it happen in the liquor and luxury industries from around the world. My studio by Tim Hutchinson. And for those of you who do not live under a liquor industry rock and who might not know who Tim is, he is the top potato of DGB. And for those of you who don't know what DGB stands for, it stands for Douglas Green Bellingham, which we don't really say anymore. But Tim, welcome to Carrie's Connoisseurs. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Good to be here. Well, we did have a little bit of a... You've got to tell Julia she's not allowed to crash around in the back <laughs> because otherwise we're interviewing Julia as well. No, but, we've, even um, told, we've even told the builders next door to stop banging walls. <laughs> For an hour, so uh, you're, you're safe. Or should we tell everybody that we spent the last the last ten minutes? I'm deeply impressed, Timothy. You got onto this Riverside Link. This Riverside Link. I have no idea. If it wasn't for the for the Kennedy boys, I wouldn't be able to do this job. So I'm extremely impressed that you managed to get yourself sorted out with this. I'm link. a bit. I'm a bit better around a wine bottle than I am around uh, video links. <laughs> Me too, me too. And we are getting old, so we're not supposed to admit that on national or international YouTube or whatever, but we are, hey? Exactly. Tim, I was trying to remember the first time that I met you, but I think I think I was 34 when I first met you, when I came back from living in England and I went to work. I worked for Anglo first, yeah, and I, I didn't meet you channel. then. Yeah. I met you... I met you when I went to work with Solly, and we did have some huge fun times, some amazing times, and it's been such a happy thought. I spent most of last night, I think I've got cholera. You know me, I don't just get a runny tummy, I get cholera. Yeah. I think I've had cholera this week, um, and I was stay, stayed up most of the night thinking about our interview today. And we did have a huge amount more fun then than we do have now. Do you think that's true, or do you think we've just got too old to have fun? What do you think? No, I think I think the industry's got a little more corporate. Um, I certainly in our business we we drive very aggressively. Uh, that you know, if you're not enjoying it, you know, find something else to do. But I mean, I spent this week uh, with our different spirit and wine marketing teams going through brand plans. Uh, and then yesterday, linking it to the international guys. And and I think in the wine industry, they all love what they do. It's getting tougher. Uh, you know, the, you can just see the, the costs, uh, power outages. Let's not get on to all the negatives. But there is a yeah. lot of pressure on the industry. But certainly in our business, uh, you know, we've got this um, this passion to grow premium and grow the business globally. And, and the guys are having a lot of fun. I've had a... I've had a team at Vinexpo in Singapore the last two weeks, uh, and they've been working markets, you know, the Philippines, uh, China, etc. And while South Africa is not shooting lights out there, they, uh, you know, they they planting the seeds, and uh, that's got to be part of the future. I know. Well, you've always been a bit of a trailblazer, actually, when it comes to getting South Africa out there. I think that you're one of the biggest exporters to the states still. 
you win awards all over the world. And that's, in fact, why I got hold of you in the first place, because I keep on seeing things come on this computer of mine that says DGB's won this, Boschendahl's won that, Franz Schuxella's done that, Brampton. Um, do you still own the Brampton brand, by the way? Yes, we do. Did you, do you? Uh, well, I judged, I judged the Cabernet Challenge at last week in Cape Town, and your Brampton Black Rock, is it called? No, Roxton Black, yeah. Roxton Black. Yeah. It got one of the top scores, so I'm sure you'll be hearing from Celia soon about that. It was absolutely delicious. And you've somehow managed to go through the last 35 or 40 years with ease. But I know that you haven't always had somebody to bless you when you sneeze. It hasn't always been that easy. What do you, what do you say to kids now who are trying to be a Tim Hutchinson in the liquor industry, more, more really the wine industry, but you've done both. So tell us for both. Well, I think it, it, it is a long-term play. I mean, you know, as we talk, we, we you know, I've, I've got a project in the Helderberg that I'll share with you, but, you know, already I've secured uh, over 80 hectares of vineyards. But I mean, you know, as we talk, uh, two farms, Klein Helderberg and Helderberg Kluft, which are about 60 hectares. You know, we're busy uh, digging up diseased vines uh, with leaf roll, replanting them. It's six years before we start seeing our first fruit. That sums up the long-term play. It's probably nine or 10 years before it's delivering top-end Gap Bordeaux varietals and Chardonnay. So it, I, I would say you've got to have a long-term plan. And you, the problem in the wine business is that I think, especially the wealthy, uh, it, it is a trendy, nice industry to be in, but it's mm. a very tough business. You know, 60% of farmers theoretically don't break even if they were yeah. trying to get a return on their, their property. Um, and, and everyone, the wealthy buy great vineyards, uh, great rootstock, um, build a fancy winery, get a great winemaker. And for me, they, you know, if I did something right, I understood the other end of the, the scale better. That once you've made it, you've got to sell it. You have to have a route to market. You have to have trade mm. relationships locally and globally. And those you don't build overnight. You know, no. um, you know I look at, uh, and a lot of the big uh, distribution businesses globally are family businesses around mm. the world. And you know, now mm. we're probably, I built the relationship with the father, the chap who's running the business now was running around in shorts, pushing a dinky yeah. car when I first started meeting his father. But it yep. is about relationships. So, you know, it. I think you've got to have a clear plan, but the success rate in the wine industry is not high. Um, it's not know, high. The, I, think, I think one of the other things that I really do need to tell everybody is that for as long as I've known you, you get up earlier in the morning than most of the people I know in the industry. You're in your office most mornings before most people have got out of bed and you work damn hard. I think that that might be a little trick to your luck and your success. Do you think so? Yeah, I th you know, I've always said to the staff, look, when you start working harder than me, give me a call. Uh, there's also no status. <laughs> there's no status in the business. We have very flat, flat structures. And I think the other one is, you know, I've, I've been pretty fearless. I mean, you know, acquiring the Boschendor wine business I was way ahead of my station in life. Uh, the it was deal, huge. 
you know, it was huge. And while we're speaking about, you know, when I first got into the industry, I used to look at the backs in awe. You know, Sydney back and Michael back. Now we own the back yeah. business uh, and and have a relationship with an amazing family. So um, we've been very blessed. But uh, it's about doing the basics right. We're not show ponies. Uh, you know, you're not going to find me on the show listing out all our awards. They're nice to have in the bank. They maybe reassure the winemakers that they're on the right track. And it's quite gratifying that international and local judges are, are acknowledging the fact that all our work in the vineyards with viticulturalists and in the cellars are starting to pay, pay dividends. Uh, but we certainly don't plaster our walls with awards. Well, I know you don't, which is one, another reason why I contacted you for today's interview, because I am going to brag about you. Because I know you won't. You eat, know your oats for breakfast and humble pie for dinner. We know that. So I'm going to brag about you because I've got a whole list of awards and things that happen here. Amongst them, Mundus Vini in Germany, Best South African Producer. I mean, that is a huge award to have received. Congratulations. It's just... Didn't you just want to rush out and shout from the rooftops that day? Well, it's our second year running with that award, which makes it even better. I know. So you must have wanted to celebrate a little bit about that. Did you celebrate with your guys? Uh, yeah, I guess we had the extra glass of wine, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 uh, it uh, you know, the, the, the problem, Carrie, is, is go, you know, our premium strategy, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a tough call. You know, going premium, you're, you're, you're putting more stock into barrel, you, you, you're holding your wine back, back a lot longer. You know, if you mm. look at our top-end bubblies, you know, five years on the lease, uh, you've got to have a friendly bank manager when you're, you, you're taking that, that route. But uh, Well, I was going to say the next thing that I wanted to get on to is that not only have you shown massive perspicacity when it comes to mergers and acquisitions because you have done that you've been one of the most successful in the wine industry in South Africa with your mergers and acquisitions and you've you've bought very cleverly Bottendal being one of my very close to my heart as you know beautiful beautiful place and you you stuck your neck out put your watsits on the line and you bought that brand I mean it's and it's just gone from strength to strength and it's now in fact let's brag about Bottendal quickly before we go on to the next Bottendall just won an award as well. Tell me about that. Well, it was uh, one of the uh, international tourist uh, uh, publications monitored hashtags around wineries, where people visit wineries, social media feature visits to wineries. And we were, we were Bottendall was the top winery in the world. Second was the, 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 the uh, McGill Estate in, in Australia. But uh, really? for me, the, the exciting thing about that, you can imagine the amount of Americans see that. I'm hoping that they're with, also with a dollar at where it is. We've got a lot more tourists on the way because, you know, we can go to offices around the world and present wines. But when they come to Boschendal under the mountains there, uh, it's God's country. You know, the wines taste better. They get the ambience. Uh, you know, we've spent a lot of money in, us, in our wine cellars. Um, and, mm. you know, but we have, as one of the Aussies said to me, he doesn't think our wines are much better than theirs, but we've certainly got better backdrops. 
I mean, can well, you? Well, know, we've got better backdrops. Gee, Whiskers, yeah. we have one of the most beautiful winelands in the world. I don't know of another one that I've been to uh, that compares, really. I mean, it I mean, is. It's not in the same league. I know it's got all the American hype, but no, no, we've, uh, we're blessed with an unbelievable um, setting. We definitely are. So, Bottendall was one of your big acquisitions, which I thought was extremely clever. Then, as you say, you went on Franschuk Cellars. You, you bought them a while ago. There's Baxberg that you've bought. There's a massive bottling facility that you've put at Wellington. The capital expenditure that you have employed is huge. So, aside from the Venus vision that you've had, you've obviously... Did you come from the bluff, Tim? No, I, I was. I grew up as a little boy. Uh, one, Just I yes or no? Did you grow up on the bluff? No, I grew up in Eddington. I was one street from Point Road. Bluff boy. No, I had, Even I worse, I wanted to say Point Road. But I mean, I had an option. I was either going to be a lifesaver. Uh, that was if I went out the flat door left. Otherwise, if I turned right, I was going to be a pimp. So I was going to be rude because we still can because we're allowed to offend each other and we're allowed to laugh at each other and ourselves. But for a little bluff boy or a little point road boy, you've done a pretty smart job. Where did you learn all the numbers? Because you definitely know how to crunch those numbers. You know, we had to, as little guys, we had to earn pocket money. I mean, when we were 10 years old, we, 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 uh, we went down uh, the stairs walking to the beach and I saw an old man sitting in his garage on a little stool. And I said, what are you doing? He said, no, I'm having a Coca-Cola. He obviously had a, a bottle of Mainstay hidden behind him. But we looked in there and he had one of those hand lathes. And we, me and my late brother, we started making little surfboards. It was very fashionable when you were a kid in Durban. You had to have a surfboard around your neck. And eventually yeah. we forget about using toothbrushes. We ended up with Perspex and made surfboards. I mean, we lost the surfboards. We had the mini surfboards. And we, we were entrepreneurs at that young age. Uh, we were street smart. Uh, uh, I, I, my silver spoon was a little rusty, but uh, I was blessed with loving parents and a good environment. And, you know, I think I often ask the question these days, how do you treat kids, teach kids, who live in a privileged environment to be street smart? Yeah. I, I, I don't know how you do it, but... Uh, no, I'm certainly not a, a, you know, I don't have any academic qualifications. Um, you know, maybe I've just been gifted with a bit of a nose for, for business, but uh, a lot of it is straight common sense, you know, do the basics right, um, you know, watch cash is king, um, but uh, no, the wine business is, uh, if you look at it, is not an easy business. Um, no, but no we'd be it's very not blessed. an easy I, I think we would... Uh, we would certainly be the biggest pre uh, premium producer in the country now. One hundred percent. I mean, I was, I was looking at some of these other accolades, and I see that Tim Atkins' report, which is awaited with bated breath every year on the South African wines, you got twenty-two wines above ninety points. That's that's yeah. really smart. That's really smart to do that. the The bottom line, really, for me, is that. Anybody knows that any brand that is associated with DGB, they can happily buy with confidence. You can put a bottle of 
any DGB or DGB associated wine on your dinner or lunch or breakfast table, whichever the case may be, and you know that it's going to be a winner. It's a massive, it's a massive achievement because you must sit back and look at the kids now who are doing a great job of of making these sensational different wines. I mean, I was chatting to Charles Back the other day, who's like you. They're two men who I just adore in the industry above all the rest. It's you and Charles Back, just such mentors. Um, and I just, I said to Charles as well, you must look at all of this. It's just more of the same. It's a, it's a 360 degree. Because you boys have been making funny wines forever. Charles made Sinso and Grenache Blanc and Rouzanne and Marzi. You've all been doing it. And it's yeah. easy to make a it's easy to make a barrel or two of it. It's not so easy to establish a massive multinational business with hundreds of thousands of liters of wine. How much do you produce liter wise in your group? Well, annually? Yeah, if you just look at one uh, the white uh, at Boschendal where obviously we've our reds, you know, Nicholas and those red wines are becoming big players. But we're, we're pressing well over 500 tonnes just on white wine at Washington. That's huge. It's a uh, lot of yeah, wine. The business is, you know, in, in, in six packs, the physical six packs. Uh, we're on our way to four and a half million cases. Um, it's a lot of wine, Timothy. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, you talked about uh, the, the, the drinking wine with confidence. You know, the, we, we regularly are, are getting outsiders in and our, and our own people and tasting our wines against not South Africa, a couple of South Africans, but against the global set. You know, we, I think the trouble with us South Africans, we think we're all competing with our, our, our neighbor. We're not. When we got on a no. shelf in Europe, the, the, the consumer is saying, do I buy French, do I buy Italian? Is, you know, South Africa is one of many options, so you've got to compete with uh, with them. Mm. And, and look, I must tell you two things for your listeners. One is that the top-end South African wines are getting better every year, and they are as good as the best in the world. No, I mean, they we are. Have a, we have a wooded Shannon that you can put into a, a flight of French equivalent wines, and it'll come first or second. Uh, but the other thing your, your listeners should accept Premium wines are going to get a lot more expensive. We are mm. selling our top-end premium wines far too cheap. And it's not yeah. that we want to improve our margins. Our costs, you know, this year if you're running a winery, your costs have probably gone up 17%. Uh, you're really? That diesel, much? You've got generators, yeah. So, um, but, you know, people are, uh, the good news is people are drinking less, people are more health conscious, but they're drinking better whether it's yeah. single malt whiskies or wine. So, yeah. you know, that's our vision. Our vision is that uh, we're, we're going premium and people are going to spoil themselves with better quality wine, but maybe drink less. Tim, uh, moving on to where the South African wine industry is at now, because you really do have to be counted as one of our top sort of industry spokesmen, I would say. Have you... Have you bought any of the farms that were sold off from Distel Group? What, what's your view on what's going on with, within Distel since the takeover by Heineken? Well, I think they liquidated, uh, you know, they needed to, to sell a lot of those properties and they've, most of them have been bought by foreign, foreign investors. I know. Uh, 
you know, we didn't look at, at, at any of those properties. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you look at like we've got in the Helderberg farms like Delavia, Salera, Lusoff, which are owned by families who want to live there. They want the lifestyle. But we've, we've taken over the vineyards on a 20-year, 25-year uh, uh, agreement. Uh, that model works for us very well. Um, and, and we have, you know, we have relationships with 80-odd farms. And within those farms, probably three or four vineyards in each farm. So, you know, that is our future. And if you have a premium, uh, premium vineyard, good terroir, uh, and there's a lot of that around, uh, you need a partner who's going to be in business for the next 20 years. Um, yeah. You know, so that, that r arrangements work very well for us. And we've developed mm. uh, some of our own brands, but, uh, you know, like our Friars Cove, um, you know, was a, a niche uh, operation. Uh, yeah. How's Friars Cove team. going, by the way? How's it's it going? Well. It's, it's such well. a beautiful yeah. farm. We're going to try to uh, plant more vineyards along the seafront there. They, as I said, they're the closest vineyards to the sea. But also what I've done is launched a range where, you know, I, the Swartland was uh, was very cool and funky. I think the West Coast is the next horizon. And we've, uh, we've also launched, we've secured some very good vineyards outside of our own. And we have a great Grenache since uh, uh, a great semi, uh, Shannon and a great Sauvignon Blanc, not at, at higher price points, but no, it's done very well. I think in our first year of that range, we sold about 16,000 cases so, uh, and we got it into 12 international markets. So now that has been a wow. fantastic facility. And what's no, good about it is a huge, the huge amount that's done through the cellar door and the restaurant. And, and we have a partnership with a local community and watch this space, you know, we're looking at uh, half the revenue from the restaurant we must plow back into the community uh, because it is a very depressing part of the world. There's alcohol yeah. abuse, there's drug abuse, and there's no work. Um, so mm. we, have a, we have a social responsibility there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think one of the most gratifying things that the success of our business has brought is how we're able to, to give back. You know, we have this, this education truck. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, it costs yes. us two and a half million rand, but half of it is a computer school, half of it is a library, both with teachers. And, you know, every week we're going to these schools, the kids are learning to uh, work on computers. Uh, and we've even some of the kids that started on that have now uh, gone on to university. So it's very gratifying. Well, you're going to have to tell them to teach you how to do Riverside and, and all that sort of stuff. We could send some people from the exactly. studio. Well, even <laughs> when, the, when, the school, when the school closes, we're getting their parents to come and have computer classes and they farm workers. That's good. You know, That's and good. then the, the truck yeah. driver is a very keen cricketer. So we've given him all the kit and now he does mini cricket uh, <laughs> outside the truck while uh, while the teaching's going on. So no, very uh, well. That all suits you down to the ground because you're a keen cricketer and Graham, your son, was a fabulous little cricketer. I didn't tell everybody that uh, aside from being sort of our South African wine hero, you're an amazing dad to three beautiful children. How many grandchildren do you have now? five at the moment um, and they they're a blessing because uh, you know they are the last people on earth who still think i'm smart <laughs> everyone everyone, everyone still, else yeah. is me out. 
but not the grandkids. They still think the old boy is, uh, is quite smart. I guess when they become okay? teenagers, when they become teenagers, my IQ will halve, and then I might recover in that when they're about 25. <laughs> I, well, that happened with our kids. I remember I became the most stupid person on, on earth when Jonathan was about, I don't know, from like 17 until 28. And then all of a sudden I like tripled my IQ from 28 yeah, exactly. to 34. I became so incredibly clever. So I know that feeling. Uh, and exactly. you're an amazing, an amazing husband. Les knows that she shared you most of your married life with me. But you've been an amazing husband. Have you still got your mum? No, my mom passed on. She uh, she was a remarkable lady. But no, she passed on in her late 80s. Uh, when she oh. was 60, 60 odd, she had some cancer and the doctor gave her eight yes. months. My mom was a very staunch Christian and uh, she said, no, no, I don't have cancer. We said, mom, you do have cancer. She said, no, I don't. <laughs> and tw 20 years later, she was still with us. Uh, uh, it's oh, amazing. Uh, you know, Raymond, my, my father, who you remind me so much of Raymond, not, also Durban boy, Point Road boy, didn't do quite as well as Tim Hutchinson did, but he was clever like you. And he got cancer. And Alison and Mark and I decided not to tell him. So That's the doctor says, your father's <laughs> he got cancer of the duodenum or whatever. <laughs> we said, okay, well, what's the story? They said, well, you can do chemo, you can do this, you can do that. We said, just stitch him up. And as you know, he lived with me for his whole life. And he came home and we continued to party and drink and smoke and listen to music and tell jokes and have fun. And Raymond lived from 73, I think he was when he was diagnosed, <laughs> until 94 with cancer. So yeah. it's your guess is as <laughs> Tim, where to next? What's big for, for DGB? If we can well, get we're bigger. Busy, we're busy with another uh, interesting, uh, not acquisition, but partnership that hopefully we can announce in the next uh, month or two. Um, you know, but uh, I, I think it's about growing our international business more. Uh, we're investing more people, you know, I've put people, we have an American operation, but I've put people into like the, the West Coast and we want the Midwest. So we're not happy. International has had a tough year or two, but we want to invest, um, invest more in the international market. And, uh, you know, you know, South Africa, we, we, we've got a long way to go. We, we're still yeah. not competing as well as the Aussies and the Italians. And the, so, um, you know, it, that's why I'm so excited about tourism. Because when people come to the Cape, they, they begin to understand our terroir, warm and cold ocean, meeting in the foot of Africa. They travel around, they see the mountain ranges, the influence they have on, on wines and, and, and weather patterns and etc. So, uh, no, tourism, I think, for us is crucially important. Yeah, um, it's this, a very, I mean, very example, special place. In our cellar doors, uh, we doubled our turnover uh, in the December period. Um, you know, so that was a lot more visitors. Uh, and could you imagine a visitor landing in Cape Town now with pounds and dollars in his pocket? He must <laughs> laugh at our wine prices. He just has to raid his kiddies piggy, piggy bank and come out for a six-week holiday. Exactly, It'll be fine, exactly. won't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think, funny enough, you know, everyone is a bit depressed at the moment. But I do think the one thing that we can proudly hold our head high is 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 our wines in in, in the international market. You know, we used to be such big players in mineral exports, 
but we've fallen behind the, 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 the chart there. But, you know, the one South African thing you find around the world is wines. You know, we've mm. got like Mrs. Ball's Chutney and Omar's Rusks, but they, they don't travel. Wine travels. No. You, you know, we Boschendals yeah. now in 72 markets. So you can go to a lot of countries and you're very proud to find South African wines being drunk. Yeah, I think wine is certainly one of our most effective ambassadors and people like you and me have a duty of care to make sure that as many people as possible know about it. Tim, what's on your table? If I say to you, what's your favorite, favorite baby from all of your stables? What would you choose to have tonight? You can change it tomorrow or next time. You know, you'd expect me to say one of our top-end reds, uh, you know, Black Angus or Grand Chirac. I, I've got a soft spot for our 1685 Bosch and Dolph Chardonnay. Uh, I also like a good a good Shannon. You know, the Courier from Old Road is a very nice, easy quaffing wine. But bit unfair mm. for me to say because I've got 12, 13 different winemakers, all very passionate. So it's not proof for the boss to select one wine ahead of another. But uh, uh, you know they um, and we empower them. They must, they they their wineries. They must they do the styles. They and and we allow them to also experiment. So no, I, I probably like a nice Chardonnay. My wife Leslie doesn't drink white wine, so I, I do share a red wine with her often. But uh, no, sixteen eighty five Chardonnay would be a would be a, a special wine. And the new one in our in our stable now, the smuggled vine Chardonnay from Baxburg. I saw it, you probably saw it won a top international Chardonnay yeah. award in France. Um, that that's a good drinking wine, but um, no, um, all's good, huh, I guess. Well, I tell you that for my money, and I drink lots of wine. I normally start tasting early in the morning, and I'm still tasting late at night. And for me, your Old Road series is just, it honestly knocks everything else off the charts for me most of the time. It never fails to impress. And then, of course, there's Boschendal, which I love so much. And I'm going to force you one day before you and I both die to invite me back to Boschendal. I want to go to Lanky Dock and swim in Blowhut. And I want to have a picnic under the trees. And I want to go and stay in Rhodes Cottage. And I want to do all those things that I did when I was 30. Should we do that? Yeah, cool idea. I never forget Jenny Chris Williams once on seven oh two, and I know you were great friends. But they, someone phoned and they were talking about one of the the great, the best meals they've ever had, and hers was a, a dinner in the Boschendal Manor House with a raging Cape winter storm outside, oh. and, a, and a fire on the go, drinking a good Boschendal Cabernet. Uh, and and it was, that, that was a, a nice memento, uh, you know. Oh, no, it was gorgeous. In those days, Lenoy used to have that curse of writing on the label, the Boschendal no, Lenoy. No, no, no. You know, we had to sell millions of bloody bottles of this stuff you know, and yeah. pretend that it was coming out of a boutique winery. Yeah, so yeah. Margaret Leroy, who was just the most wonderful no, marketing director, yeah. she was gorgeous. And she said, girls, you have to get out there and you have to sort of preach the gospel according to Boschendal. She lived, ate, drank, slept, walked, talked Boschendal. She loved it. And you know, we just, did it. You know who's just turned 100? Is Who? Henry Kissinger. My God, is Henry still alive? Yes, he just turned 100. And if you remember, Henry Kissinger v- visited Boschendal once with, when Michael <laughs> was there. 
And he said in, in his autobiography, he said the 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 um, the Melba pudding was one of the best desserts he'd ever had. Ah, oh, that Melba so, pudding, and, and you the, know he's a hundred, yeah. Judy Dyer. Oh, well, you'll have to send in the recipe for the Malva pudding. Tell them yeah, to make exactly. it for, yeah, for his yeah, birthday. Yeah. Judy Dyer used to run the the restaurant, and she's still a very good friend of mine from from um, the Bosendal days. I think she's on her own now, but she went and worked for Julio Bertrand, and she worked for Oldenburg Vineyards, which is also beautiful at the moment, not far from where you are. But it really does hold a very, very special place in many, many people's hearts, not just Boschendal, the whole of DGB. You're a legend and I love you and thank you for taking time to come and chat to me, Tim. I really appreciate, appreciate the invitation. Thanks so much. Anytime. We should definitely make a date three times a year. Right, yeah. And, and with the, the, you've got an open invitation to Boschendal. Just find a gap in your diary and let's set it up. I'll phone you. Thank you, Tim. Love to all the Hutchinsons and thank, keep thank doing you. what you're doing. Cheers. Bye-bye. Right, have a good one. Cheers. Bye.